0: Good morning. Last week we covered um, James chapter 5. We went through verses 6 through 12. This week we are going to finish up chapter 5. So we are actually going to be finishing up the book of James this week. Um, before we get into that, let's brief recap again. Let's talk about, for just a second, Um just a little bit about what we talked about last week Um, we talked pretty exhaustively about the coming of the Lord uh, how we should be anxiously eagerly and expectantly uh, we should be awaiting his triumphant return Um, James then sums up quite a bit uh, sums up quite a bit of what he's been telling his congregation throughout this entire book which which In verse 9, he's saying don't grumble against one another. And why? He said, if for no other reason than that the judge is standing at the door. So is this petty grumbling what you will want to be caught up in upon his return? Is kind of what he was asking. Um, You know, we talked about how when we see the accounts... um, of trials in Scripture, uh, James talked about with Job in particular, that it's easy for us to see God glorifying himself through that. But it is a challenge for us to see it within our own trials. So then we discussed God's intentions for those things, for those trials, which we know it's ultimately for his glory and his namesake. So... Let's take a look this week, verses 13 through 20. Again, I'm reading out of New King James, so please follow along with me, fact check me. And what we're going to do this week um, is we're going to read through uh, verses 13 through 20. We're going to read through all of them to begin with, and then we're going to come back and talk about um, what's going on here. Uh, There's quite a bit to unpack. There are some preconceived notions that we need to address. So uh, let's get into it. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if, any, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, so there is a lot in here. Um, if you have your Bibles open, I would recommend you kind of bookmark that because I'm going to go back to the uh, full camera here just so that way I can talk to you without, you know, without you, anybody being distracted myself primarily with what's going on over here. <clears throat> So let's get into this. Um, I've been talking a lot about recently the three things that we must always consider when reading the scriptures. Um, The author, the audience, and the context. We always need to consider those three things. So let me ask this question. Is this passage telling us that if anyone in the church is sick, that if we call the elders— And we have the elders lay hands on that person, and we pray for them that they will be healed. The reason I ask is because there are those who would take this passage out of its context and who preach what we what we know as the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and happiness gospel. And they have perverted this passage to mean something that it doesn't. Um, and they've perverted it really to, to, they've tried to simplify it down to those who are just physically sick. They say things like, you know, if you're sick and you call the elders uh, to pray and they anoint you with oil, And if you, if you are a person of faith, then you'll be healed of your sickness. And sometimes they even go a step further and say, if you don't receive your healing, it's because you don't have enough faith. Um, now that is, um, blasphemous, but here's the deal. It is, it is instructing us to do this, um, the problem with with chapter five is almost anytime somebody brings up James chapter five it's this it's verse 13 um, verses 13 14 and really 15 that they tend to linger on they're like okay so that you know James is saying here that anybody that comes forward with some sort of infirmity that if if we do this exact thing that God is going to be faithful and heal that well here's the deal Certainly that has happened before okay that has and it probably will again but it doesn't happen every time it, it does not now as an anecdote, my wife is evidence that this has occurred um, She was diagnosed with something called Pompeii disease you can look it up it's it's pretty um, severe would be um, grossly misinterpreting i mean it's it's um debilitating um so she was diagnosed with this disease and um we did this very thing you know we uh, if you're part of old brazier's chapel you might even remember we we came forward and um at the end of service and and the entire church came and, and prayed over her and over us um but i was challenged by a mentor of mine to take a look at the at the scriptures at the instructions here specifically what we're to do and you know he said well it doesn't say for everybody to come up um which there's nothing wrong with that you know we'll take all the prayers we could get um but specifically there it said to call the elders so that's what we did i went and scrounged up as many people as i could and and if you weren't one of them i apologize it's not because we forgot you it's probably because i didn't see you that morning but we did that very thing and we came and we knelt down and the elders of the church prayed over us and they prayed over her and praise be to god that she was delivered from this infirmity i mean and it wasn't you know a lot of people thought that well it was just a misdiagnosis but her doctor is someone that goes to church with us And she would not have given us that um, information or that diagnosis without an affirmation that that was the case. And then so we our life was turned upside down and um, we were making plans to travel to Duke University every other week um, for these infusions and things. And they wanted to run one more blood test just just to be sure because she'd already had several of them taken um, cause it's a genetic disorder and, um, like we had plane tickets set up and I mean, everything was ready to go and then it came back and it was negative. So you would think since I personally did this, this very thing, you know, I brought the elders in, um, and saw a healing, I saw it occur with my own eyes that I would be telling everybody, who has an infirmity to do this. And I'm certainly not opposed to that. I want to stress that I'm not opposed to that. And I'm not opposed to, to, um, recommending this to someone. Um, I, 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 do encourage it. And, um, but the problem here is that this is not what James is talking about and what God is talking about here in this passage. um, the point I'm making there is that just because God can heal someone in that way doesn't necessarily mean that he will heal them that way you know he may He may not heal them at all um, we talked about Deo valente God willing that's exactly the case here if you know God will heal them if he's willing um you know I find it odd that Christians uh, particularly mature Christians who cling to this idea know and believe and agree with the scriptures when Jesus Christ himself healed multiple people of multiple different infirmities and, and some of which were the same but he healed them in completely different ways you know uh, there's more than one lame man that he made to walk but he went about it different ways so uh, this is this is my opinion here Part of the reason why I think he did that was because he knows our nature and he, and he knew that if we saw him perform this miracle the same way multiple times, that we would then try to perform this same miracle in the same way. And he was showing us that it's not the process that's healing, but it's him. It's his grace and love and mercy that's, that's doing the healing. So, so I, I do want to. I just wanted to clarify that that you know, just because God can heal that way doesn't mean He will. Um, and my wife and I certainly praise God for that healing, but we would have praised Him even if her uh, even if her sickness had worsened. Um, and you know what else? Just because God healed her of this affliction doesn't mean that she won't die later. Um, I mean, I've talked about Lazarus several times. He brought Lazarus out from the grave. He was dead. He stinketh. And it doesn't ever tell us that Lazarus died again, but surely he did. So so let me sum this point up. Laying on the hands, uh, laying on of the hands, like laying your hands on someone and praying is biblical. And we should do this. We should do this for the brethren. So listen, if you are sick, do this, but understand This verse, this passage, is not a prescriptive heal-all order, okay? Jesus Christ here is not writing a prescription for your healing. He may have given you this infirmity for a particular purpose. Well, I say may. He most certainly did. So, this isn't what James is talking about. I just wanted to kind of clarify that because we don't need to spend too much time on what he's not talking about we need to discuss what he is talking about but so many people get caught up in this and i understand why but let's talk about what james is talking about here what james is saying is he's asking the question to his congregation how do we treat physically sick people well what do we do well we try to bring them up We all try to pray over them, we lay hands on them, and we ask for the Lord's will to be done. So he is using, James here, is using how we treat sick people as an analogy and then asking, why don't we have that same attitude toward our brothers and sisters who are sick in sin? They have wandered from the truth. This is where we're getting into the meat of what James is talking about. And this is what's going on in James's congregation and ours. There are brothers and sisters who have wandered from the truth. Uh then James is saying, "We pray fervently for our brothers and sisters and loved ones who are sick. And we pray with all fervency, with intensity, you know, I mean to the point to where we lay face down." I mean, and bow and, and complete submission to his will but petitioning all, all the while that that healing would take place James is saying we should be doing the same thing with the same amount of zeal for our brethren who have wandered from the truth now remember the sinner who James is talking about the sinner who he's talking to is in the congregation I cannot stress that enough. I know I have, and I know I have every single week. It's important to note who he's talking to. The audience here is the congregation, body of believers. He is not talking about or to the lost. He is talking about those people who are in our churches, who claim to have been reconciled back to God and justified through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but they are living in open sin among the congregation they've wandered from the truth then James is saying living like this is actually worse it's 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 worse for you to live in this state of carnality than it would be for you to have a fatal infirmity it's worse in fact this is actually worse than a lost person it's worse Because God doesn't expect a lost person to act any other way than what? Than lost. And neither should we. We can't expect, we can't and shouldn't expect the lost to behave like Christians. They are serving their master. They are. Their their master of sin. They're a slave to sin. So that's what they are going to do. At this point, you know, When I say, I'm about to say, well, they don't have a choice. What I mean by that is they're going to serve their master. They're going to choose to serve their master every time just like you will and I will. But it shows who their master is. So one of the main issues that I have with the church today is that we expect and project that the world should behave more like Christians. But then... We let the church behave any way they want without saying a word. You know, we condemn people that are not Christians, don't claim to be Christians, and don't want to be Christians. We condemn them for not wanting to act like us when the people that deserve the condemnation are those who say that they've been born again and live in open disobedience. But we do know especially if you look at um, the letters to Corinth, we know in its first Corinthians 1130 that God was so troubled by the confusion and the problem of people in the church congregation living in open sin that he killed them. Now he doesn't mean, or that, that, that doesn't mean that they went to hell it very well could could have been God showing mercy to them, so that they wouldn't go further into sin. Um, I, I I really don't know. But uh, to to back up, or to I guess to emphasize the scripture there, let me give you an anecdote because I had a friend of mine that was reconciled back to Jesus Christ. He was saved, and then he died three weeks later. Is he really he's a young man. He's twenty eight years old when he died. And one of the reasons that I believe that God took him so soon is so that he wouldn't have to suffer here and fall back into his sinful habits, but instead went ahead and called him home. I I know that sounds harsh, and I definitely would not say that to uh, his grieving spouse at the time and things, you know, but as time passed, she began to ask, and I was able to give her that, that response, and she agreed with it. She knew his habits, and she said i'm i'm you know obviously i'm i was floored and uh, um 'm very sad and still am but un- she understands and agreed she his name was Josh she said if god hadn't taken Josh then he might have been a lot worse off she understands S- so we always seem to talk about how how the sin that someone is committing is affecting their family, and we should. And we talk about how it affects them, uh, and we should. But James says also, don't forget how this affects the church. This affects the church. Sometimes we can we can be so gracious and wonderful and merciful about um, or towards someone that. We're not taking on the fact that we need to deal with this if we truly love the person and if we love God's church. You know, you would think it would be enough to say, because I truly love this person, I'm going to tell them the truth. But if that's not enough, you should love Christ's church enough to not tolerate open disobedience amongst the brethren. 1 Corinthians five. Paul. Paul actually cannot believe that they aren't dealing with There's a guy there that's living in open sin, and and Paul says, what this guy is doing sexually is so heinous that the pagans don't even do this. What he was doing is he was, as far as we as far as we know, according to the interpretations of the scriptures and things, that he was sleeping with his father's new wife, uh, so essentially a stepmom. And, and Paul says, the pagans don't even do this. The pagans don't even do this. And you all think you're being so gracious by allowing this guy to just remain in the church body? Now, don't misunderstand me. The church doors are open for the lost. Please come. That They aren't claiming that they are anything but lost. But the church is supposed to deal differently with those who say, oh, well, I'm not lost. I'm one of the church. Yet they live in open sin. Now, I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about defiantly living in open sin. And someone might even come to them in love and say, you shouldn't be doing this. But they don't change. They don't care. It's really what it is. They're going to do what they want to. And at some point, you must bring it before the church. And, and if they don't repent, you have to throw them out. Now, that is not a popular teaching. It's not popular to say, hey, if there's somebody, uh, one of the brethren amongst you that is living in open disobedience and open sin and, and, and has no remorse, you are to go to them and to confront that sin through love. And if they don't listen, you're to come back with someone else, right? You're to come back with someone else and expose this sin and tell them this must stop. And if they still reject, we are called, instructed, and commanded to throw them out. That's completely backwards to what the church today tells you. They will do anything to draw people in. They will put on... Light shows, they will, yeah, get, do car giveaways. I mean, they'll, they'll throw coffee shops in their churches. They'll do anything they can to make the sinner comfortable. But I would, I would be willing to bet, and this is a Josh O'Brien opinion. Okay, I know that it's not what you're here for, but you're gonna get it anyway, no extra charge. But I would be willing to bet that if more churches held to the to the instruction of James and Paul that if someone was doing this and you were to come to them now obviously what what I'm about to say is over time Okay, you were to come to them expose the sin they say no I don't care I'm going to do it anyway you come back with two more people with you and you're all in agreement and show them through the scriptures that this is wrong and they say I don't care I'm going to do it anyway guess what it's time for you to go you cannot be part of this congregation I would be willing to bet if more churches did that that you would see the revival that you've been praying for in the American church. It's our fault, our fault as Christians, individually even. It's it's mine, my fault, that the church has gotten to the state that it is now. People complain about the nation and the the uh, direction that the nation is headed. That's our fault. That's our fault. We sit around and do nothing because we don't want to hurt feelings, because we don't want to be uh, excluding anyone. We need to be all inclusive for all ways of life. That's 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 what's being taught and pushed. That you know, God just loves everybody and He loves them right where they are. And I'm I'm not going to get into all that today, but I'm trying to express that this is our fault, and it's only us. That can make that can course correct. So Paul actually says to to the church at Corinth there about this individual. He said, "If I could get there, I would, and I would throw him out. But I'm too far away, so I'm, I'm praying. Um, I'm praying that God would let Satan have him, and that Satan would take him out of that church body, because." Once he does, it'll probably save his life. And it would also purify the church body. So I was talking to this guy at work uh, last week. And for those of you that know me, you know I don't really pull any punches. I I think I may be physically incapable of it. Um, But I I was talking to this guy about his sin. um, And you know what he told me? Finally after, you know, 20 minutes of me. I'm just asking questions. I'm not even, not even saying you're doing this. I'm just asking questions and it's making him uncomfortable. And he finally looked up at me and he goes, well, that's not very nice. And you know what I said? I said, several people were not so nice to me 12 years ago. And it saved my life. Praise God that they had the courage and, and, and boldness and loved me enough to tell me the truth. Now that doesn't mean that we're not gracious. That doesn't mean that we're not merciful and that we also can't but but we also can't be sanctimonious and uh, self-righteous. but there is a moment that we where we have to stand on the authority of the church and the authority of Christ and we don't allow people to go out from our church and confuse people claiming that somehow they're a member, of the church body, but nothing has been changed about them. They live just like the lost world. Now, again, I'm not talking about lost people and neither is the Bible or James here. This could, this could apply to the lost in some ways. But what James is saying is that we need to go out and take care of the sin in the church. And if you bring this person back, if you bring him back, person who has strayed from the truth, wandered from the truth, then you're actually loving them. But in order to do that, you're going to have to say this sin cannot stand according to the scriptures. So James is telling us not to let this go because we've seen it happen a thousand times that if we allow open sin to take place among believers, not stumbles but open disobedience that it will destroy the church. Now, let me let me give you a warning that if you do this in the right way, and you are right for doing this, you better go back to what Jesus was saying to make sure that you don't have a plank in your own eye before you pull the splinter help your brother pull the splinter out of his. Now the thing I, I cannot stand Is the perversion of that also where people will say, well, you should pull the plank out of your own eye before you try to pull the splinter out of your neighbor's. That's true. That is true. But it doesn't say don't try to pull the splinter out of your neighbor's eye. So make sure whatever it is you're coming to your brother or sister about that you are not guilty of. But we cannot allow for these things. Um, We can't allow for our love For the individual and our love for the church and our love for Christ, because of that love, we can't allow this type of sin and behavior within the body because it's just like a virus and it will spread and it will kill the body. The damage that open sin does for the lost and for the credibility of the church is enormous. So James is telling us and instructing us that we cannot take this lightly So I'm telling you and myself that we can't take this lightly anymore because we have. And we need to be praying not only for those who are physically sick, but to heal them from being spiritually sick. We cannot allow this to go on inside God's church. If you you love your church, then you'll do something about it. You'll stand firm even when it's inconvenient. Now I know that we are and should be concerned with how how we come across to those people whose sin we are exposing i I'm, I'm I'm definitely i do think we need to pay very close attention to that, but we don't need to be so concerned that you do nothing if you focus on doing it right with meekness with gentleness and love and kindness. But also with boldness and courage, you won't fail. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll turn from their sin. Because if you confront their sin biblically, if you do it the biblical way, which is the correct way, and they reject you and they call you names or, or, you know, you face any kind of backlash or recourse from it, just let it happen. Let it happen. Rejoice in your suffering. Because it isn't you that they are rejecting. You know, this is exactly what James was, he's coming back around over in chapter one, talking about our trials. Our our trials most of the time come from our own sin and flesh, you know, um, fleshly desires. That come from consequences of our sin most of the time, not all the time. Sometimes God just gives us trials. But what I'm telling you here is if you go through a trial because of this, you lose friendships or loved ones because of this. It will be difficult. It will be. I'm I'm not naive. But praise God that you get to experience this. It's a joy. It's, it's It's a privilege to be able to participate in the suffering of Christ. So you might get pummeled for it. But what you did was right. And what you did was loving. Because those that excuse their sin don't really care about that person. Those people that, when you when you see a young a young couple, a boyfriend and a girlfriend that move in together and then they get pregnant unexpectedly, and everybody's congratulating them on Facebook or, or whatever you know, we don't congratulate that stuff. Now, am I saying that we should neglect the child? Absolutely not. That child did nothing wrong, but we don't need to be coming up to them and patting them on the back and saying good job. So. And that's going to be difficult to do, and you will face backlash for that. And not only from the individual, but from your peers. So if I get pummeled by the person, I really don't care. Now, what I mean by that is, I don't care because as long as I did it right, according to the scriptures, then I can stand before God blameless. Because when you look at that couple... And they have a thousand people telling them that it's okay, that what they did was okay, that it's excusable. And you're going to be the one that has the courage to come to them and tell them that what they just did was sin. You might be the only voice that tells them the truth, that reveals to them the nature of their hearts, that saves their souls. Now this book has been introspective, and it has been challenging, but it is good, and it is meant to build us up as children of God, and it edifies His church. This book, the book of James, has actually done the very thing that I have sought out to do with this class, which is to edify and equip the saints of God. I just want to say thank you so much for your patience. Thank you for your participation in this study. Um, thank you for your confidence and your prayers. Um, I'm going to be on vacation in a couple of weeks, um, so I I don't really want to start another study and then have to have a gap in between. So I think for the next two weeks we will do some type of topical studies, um, and then we'll we'll move on to a, another book. Um, which I'll, I'll let you know um, The week before what we get into So that way you can be reading ahead um, So again I just want to say Thank you all so much I love you all um, And I'm going to uh, I, I want to close this out with this From now from now on I think um, Which is a charge of encouragement And love And it's may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ And the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit Be with you all I hope you all have a fantastic week, and I will see you back here next week. Thank you.